Welcome to Carito Connects. I'm your host, Jen, and I've been conversing with friends around the world about life challenges and impactful moments. Conversations on this platform look at answering the questions, how we overcome challenges and how our experiences shape who we are and the work we do today. I hope this work can inspire you on your own personal and individual journey. Let's dive right in. Hello, my guest today is Scotsman Donnie Mack, founder of Free Dive Taiwan, one of the first English-speaking freediving schools in Taiwan, as well as two podcasts he hosts, the Free Dive Cafe, where Donnie speaks to freedivers around the world about freediving, and Thrivers, where Donnie conducts long-form interview podcasts that seeks and find inspiration in the wisdom and stories of an eclectic array of guests. To date, Donnie has recorded over 150 episodes and is in my opinion, a podcasting expert. So it's an honor to have him on my show today. Hi, Donnie. Hi, really happy to be here. Thank you. I wouldn't consider myself an expert. I still <laughs> not sure what I'm doing. I'm still working okay, though. Okay, so Donnie, we know that you came out to Taiwan to teach English and now have pivoted your career into running your freediving school out in Shaoliuqiu, which is a beautiful little island at the southern tip of Taiwan as well as your podcast. That's where you're recording them. Could we go back in time to look at milestones in your life where certain incidences or challenges really made an impact on you and shaped you to become the person you are today and the work you do? Well, I mean, I think in, in anybody's life, there's so many important events. Uh, it's kind of hard to say. I guess I didn't really travel very much. Well, I, I moved to the Netherlands when I was quite quite young. When I was about 19 years old, I, I started to live in the Netherlands and I was there for almost 10 years. I guess the main event, the most pivotal event sort of put me in a different direction was when I was about 27 and I had my first breakdown, basically kind of a nervous breakdown. With That's when I discovered that I had a serious anxiety condition. And that was the stimulus for me to change my negative lifestyle, which was pretty, pretty damaging at the time, and to leave to travel to another country and sort of like start to start again. And, and yeah, and I've been doing that for the last I guess for the last 10 or so years now. So can we go back to at 27? What, yeah. what was what was that incident? Well, I think, you know, the impression that people have of Amsterdam when you talk about it is that it's kind of like a party town and there's, you know, a lot of crazy stuff going on. And, and to, to be honest, it, it kind of was like that for me. But the main, the main issue was that I moved there when I was quite young. I was, you know, in, in my early 20s, I was uh, working in bars and restaurants and, and clubs and things like that. And you have to understand that I wasn't like partying all the time, but drinking culture and casual use of drugs was just part of everybody's lifestyle. It's a little bit different to say where I come from in the UK that, you know, you wait until Friday and then you or maybe like in the States as well, right? Where you, you know, you, you can't drink casually when you're younger. So you, you wait until those opportunities where you can kind of go crazy and you get completely messed up, you know? And the UK people wait until Friday, they get completely messed up on Friday and Saturday night, and then they go back to their day jobs and uh, for the rest of the week. But on continental Europe, the culture is a little bit different. You can start drinking 
legally from the age of 16. You can go to a bar basically when you're a kid and your lunch break. So the drinking culture is very much more, I would hate to say this, but it's a bit more civilized. And But what happens is that if you work in an environment like a bar or a club, it becomes normal to drink constantly through the day. I should actually jump back in time a little bit. I first, I didn't start drinking until I was about 19, so quite late. I come from a family that has a lot of problems with alcohol, so I always kind of tried to avoid that. But I did get really into smoking hashish when I was younger, and I smoked a lot of marijuana. And when I got, of course, going to Amsterdam, a large part of the appeal was to be able to legally, casually smoke marijuana, which I thought was a superior substance to alcohol. And actually, I remember that at some point I started to experience my first anxiety symptoms, kind of like panic attacks related to, and I knew it was because I was smoking too much strong marijuana. I used to work in a hostel where I, would, I wouldn't get paid, but I'd get like a couple of drink tokens every, every night. And because this got so bad, I had to stop smoking, but I had these drink tokens and it suddenly occurred to me that I could try a beer with one of these drink tokens. And I noticed that when I had a couple of beers, then I felt relaxed and I was able to go to sleep like this pounding sensation in my heart was, it was pacified and I was able to finally get some sleep. So that's where I started drinking actually is all like from the, from the outset, it was kind of like a self-medication. And then just because of the lifestyle, working in bars and clubs and things, everyone drank all the time. You know, six o'clock, you go into work, you, you drink a small beer behind the bar, you drink with your clients, your guests, you sit down at a table, you have a drink with them. And it's fine when you're between the ages of 20 and 25, right? Any, pretty much anyone can take that kind of abuse on their body. I drank every day for years and years never really got super drunk, just drank every day. But if you look at the quantity, it was building up over time. And there was also, I wouldn't say super problematic, but there was regular use of other drugs too. I didn't really smoke, smoke too much anymore because I knew it wasn't really good for me, but cocaine was very popular in a casual sense. It was, you know, everyone was doing it, I hate to say. So there was a lot of stuff coming into my body over a long period of time that eventually took its toll. And I think it just ground my, my nervous system down. And eventually I was standing behind the bar one day looking at processing some money in the cash register. And I just basically collapsed on the floor, writhing on the ground, thinking I was having a heart attack. I couldn't talk. I was thrashing around, knocking glasses off the shelves. My colleagues were calling the ambulance, telling, telling them they thought I was having a heart attack. It was pretty intense. And yeah, it was, uh, it was after that that I, I realized that I'd kind of blown up my nervous system, so to speak. And uh, yeah, that's when I, when I became intimately aware of the issues that I had and that I, I had two options, which was I could continue going down the same path and continue to cause more problems. and. God knows where I would have ended up, or I could really actively start to transform my life and get myself uh, into a better place and, you know, transcend uh, the, the person I had become into something better. Yeah. But you obviously went with option two. Well, I'm still working on it, but it's, I think it's proven to be the best option. Yeah. By picking option two at that point, 
you know, at 27, what helped you kind of say, okay, I'm going to make these changes? Like, you know, were there certain individuals who were there for you who said, maybe you need to get out of the Netherlands, you need to go to a different environment, you should seek this, you know, they're always supposedly sometimes some of us have people around us who will kind of give us certain directions or guidance, you know, you are introduced to different things. So was that, was there something like that for you at the time? Or, you know, how did you get from calling at the bar ambulance and then deciding like, okay, I'm going to change, like I'm going to make a difference here. And Okay. I have to go back again to my childhood. I've always been really drawn towards the spiritual path, specifically practical meditation and and yoga. So I was I, I sat down to meditate for the first time when I was 12. I had found a book in my dad's house that was about yoga and meditation. And I was not interested in the postures in the book. I went straight to the meditation section. I found this thing completely fascinating. When I first moved to Amsterdam, 19 years old, I got really into um, Buddhism and spent uh, a couple of years trying to have this meditation practice on top of my lifestyle. And eventually that kind of you know, it didn't didn't work out. I always read and studied on an intellectual level, meditative disciplines, Zen. You know, eventually I discovered the Yoga Sutras. I was actually living in Finland for a year with a girlfriend of mine, and I, I discovered the Yoga Sutras, and it really re-inspired me to start to uh, practice yoga again. So what I'm saying is that I always had this uh, like double life, and the unhealthy part, the, the devil on the, on the shoulder was pretty much governing what I did, you know, 90% of the time up until that event. But I had this other part of me that was very driven towards, you know, uh, spiritual development and, and self-transformation. And so I kind of had the tools, I kind of had the tools there in the toolbox and you know, actually, I went the year before this happened, the summer before this happened, I went to Greece for a few weeks. And I eventually came came to this yoga retreat center that were run by friends of mine. And that was the first time in about seven or eight years that I'd had a whole week where I wasn't living the Amsterdam lifestyle. And it kind of like really opened me up and and I met some really good teachers there. I came back to Amsterdam. I, I immediately started to practice at a, a yoga studio there, an Ashtanga Vinyasa studio, and this opened up a whole new path for me. It wasn't it wasn't enough to to take over to come into to become the main thing in my life. But after twenty seven, I and that event happened. I realized, okay, I have these tools, and I have this option to pursue a life of of transformation, as difficult as it might be. And the last seven or eight years have been kind of uh, turning the ship around and me, you know, spinning around so that I'm much more, much more of me is dedicated towards my practice and much less of me is dedicated towards self-abuse, but it's still part of me. It's definitely not been overcome yet. Okay, that's that's a helpful information there <laughs> that you had that foundation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, I I was 
I really a lot of what I'm what I'm thinking about now because I'm thinking about how I can help other people who are in the same situation as me. You know, we haven't really talked about the anxiety and how the anxiety is uh, a chronic condition that I have that is rooted in. I believe a lot of it is rooted in childhood trauma, and I know that childhood trauma is responsible for many people's depression, anxiety, and uh, other conditions, even the physical manifestations of you know illnesses, uh, eating disorders, and things like that. So, having such a long history now as a as a practitioner of yoga and alternative disciplines that have helped me immensely in my life, I you know I, a, a large part of what I'm doing now is sort of trying to help people through what I've learned, and that's where the podcasts come in, and and everything else that I'm doing. Yeah. Oh yeah, you you just transitioned for me there. Thanks <laughs> regarding yeah. anxiety. Regarding anxiety. Yeah. Um, so maybe we should just elaborate more on that part. Yeah. Well, it anxiety is a really weird thing, right? If you have a chronic anxiety condition, I think you know you might say like the in the medical terms you might say like generalized anxiety disorder or something like that. People who don't have anxiety conditions don't understand what anxiety condition is they don't understand that it's it's like an illness right you, you people who have not suffered anxiety if you say to them like i'm feeling very anxious they they have this thing, okay well go and chill out then you know like you know go and take it easy they don't understand that it's something that's outside of your control and that's why people like myself tend to self medicate or self harm or things like that. So the important thing that people out there have to understand is that anxiety, there's a, of course, there's a whole spectrum from a sort of like low underlying sense of anxiety that probably a large part of the population have to people who are completely disabled by the condition and who require pharmaceutical intervention on a daily basis. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to function. And there are there are there are some very fortunate people out there who don't have an anxiety condition. Yeah, I, you you see more and more as somebody who's gone through it that many more people have a condition, an anxiety condition or a depression condition than we think. You know, if you just look at the statistics, just in the USA alone, that one in five people are or have taken benzodiazepines in their lifetime which are horrible, powerful drugs that completely transform your brain chemistry. And to think that 20% of the population have been prescribed those drugs. And then you look at like how much Ritalin or Adderall is prescribed to kids, you know, for their attention deficit disorders and things like that. You see that we have a massive problem in our society with uh, mental health. Yeah, and that's why I want to talk about it and I want to be honest about it because there still is that sense that if you if you have mental health conditions, then you are weak in some way. And we right. don't want to demonstrate our weakness, especially to our superiors, to our bosses, to our families, to our partners, to our peers. But it's an epidemic. It's a pandemic that we are suffering. So, yeah. For me, it's anxiety. I don't really suffer from depression. It's interesting that I don't have really much experience of depression. But it's something that I'm constantly now aware of. And it oscillates and it changes over time. And 
yeah, it's it's a real thing for for people who are still not convinced. So for I guess like if like how would I know if someone is going through an episode, right? Or like what would be a good way to approach someone who is going through that to like provide help for them if they're willing to acknowledge, right? Because I think step one is you need to you need to be like, yes, I have I'm anxious, I have anxiety, you know, because without that you really can't provide guidance or help them in that way. Right. I think just uh, because now the way we talk about anxiety is a little bit vague, I think, you know, we can talk about it a little bit more. I'm not a scientist, but we can talk about it a little bit more scientifically. And the nervous system can be described in many different ways. But, you, you know, the main way that we separate the nervous system, the two branches of the nervous system are the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. So the parasympathetic nervous system governed in large part by the, the vagus nerve and the sympathetic nervous system. Parasympathetic is basically your rest and rejuvenate and calm relaxation side of your nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is the, the fight and flight or freeze part of your nervous system, which gets us up and gets us going out and being active and, and interacting in the world. And we need to have a healthy balance between the two. You, know, you can't just be fully parasympathetic or fully sympathetic. What is happening in somebody that has an anxiety condition is that they are stuck, let's say, to a certain extent with sympathetic responses to stimulus, you know, stimuli in the outside world that for, for normal, healthy people are not going to, to affect you. For example, walking into a restaurant and sitting down to have a meal, you know, depending on how I feel on a particular day, the thought of walking into a restaurant that I don't know and sitting down in a place with people I don't know can stimulate a strong sympathetic response. So I feel fear, anxiety, my heart rate increases, I start sweating. When I go to a restaurant, especially one I don't know, I need to sit beside the wall and I need to sit in a corner so I can see all sides of the room. And I didn't realize I was even doing that for years and years and years, right? So you, you, you have these behaviors that you know manifest in your personality and, you know, over time, we sort of like unlock that, that they are manifestations of an underlying mental health condition or nervous system condition. And yeah, so that's, that's where it's coming from physiologically is just, it's, it's brain chemistry, it's brain chemicals not being available in the right amounts or being overstimulated and, and how that affects our nervous system. So it's, it's really, it come, boils down to us being animals and our physiology not working properly right and then of course we like to think that we're more than just animals and we have this amazing prefrontal cortex which allows us to exhibit all these you know like higher level uh, behaviors but really it boils down to to the nervous system and then to come back to your question you said how can you help somebody right is that the question yeah well a huge problem a huge, huge problem in the world today with people that do recognize that they have a condition like this or are diagnosed with an anxiety condition is that the doctor will immediately prescribe them with a pharmaceutical solution, which more often than not is a benzodiazepine, benzodiazepine uh, type drug, such as alprazolam, clonazepam, you know, Ativan, Valium, these kinds of things. They're incredibly powerful drugs that, yes, they'll calm you down. 
temporarily. They will give you a sense of security and sense of peace for a certain amount of time, but they're also incredibly addictive. So, you know, Xanax, for example, is the, the, the guideline is that you shouldn't take Xanax for more than two weeks because two weeks is enough to create a dependency. And I can tell you, I've been through this many times. Yeah, it is enough. And then the, the, the symptoms of, of removing benzodiazepines from your, from your regimen, let's say, is that you experience more and more anxiety, right? So the, the thing that was supposed to help you ends up causing, you know, an order of magnitude higher levels of symptoms than you had in the beginning. So people get trapped with these pharmaceuticals, which are prescribed like candy. And for some people, they have such incredibly debilitating anxiety that they absolutely need something like this. Yeah, they're too far gone at this point right now to just meditate themselves out of anxiety. So I highly recommend anyone whose doctor offers them a prescription of benzodiazepines. A lot of doctors don't even know the, the, the truth about these drugs anyway, the allopathic doctors. Seriously reconsider that. And, you know, unless it's an emergency situation, the next thing is to consider what lifestyle changes you can make to, to alleviate your anxiety because it comes down to your physiology and your nervous system. It, they're, not, they're not working as well as they could be. So in terms of, okay, so if your sympathetic nervous system is overstimulated, then we have a lot of practices that we can do to activate more your parasympathetic nervous system. You can do things like, you know, breath work. <laughs> There that word comes. I'm beginning to accept that word, but Wait. yeah, I'm coming around to it. To be another podcast where Donnie was upset that I used fresh work instead of pranayama. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm adapting to the to the modern times. So yeah, breath work in whatever form it is, like non deep sleep practices such as yoga nidra, you know, forms of uh, hypnosis, not the kind of hypnosis that you see on the on the stage, but self hypnosis and guided hypnosis and things like that. And then, I mean, even before that, even before we come to that, the first thing is nutrition, right? So, for example, I've had a, all my life, I had a problem with alcohol, right? My alcohol problem started, you know, as I told you, 19 years old, self-medicated, always had a problem with that. At those times when I stopped drinking, I immediately began to crave sugar, right? So there's a relation between the way that alcohol is processed in the liver and fructose is processed in the liver and they're very similar when you stop drinking your body tries to compensate by creating these sugar cravings and now you end up in a, another kind of addiction which is just eating a bunch of sugary crap all the time some people you know like one very precious member of my family doesn't have any problem with substances but has terrible problems with uh, food and binges on sugary salty greasy processed foods all of these foods that are non-whole foods when you put them into their body they have to be processed and they have to be they have to be the body has to get rid of them somehow it, it expands a lot of energy trying to extract what little nutrition there is you don't get a proper feeling of satiety from these foods so you end up eating more and more so it's easy to put on weight but more importantly is the way that it affects your hormones. Your hormones get out of balance because you are, you're not putting natural foods into your system. So, so diet and nutrition are, are really important. 
And it doesn't matter if you want to, you know, there are extremes of diets. There's veganism or fully plant-based diets, and there's carnivore diets where people are only eating meat. Even people who are eating so-called high meat diets, they leave livers in jars and let them rot for six weeks, and then they eat the rotting liver and things like this, right? Whatever you're into, we, what we can all agree on is that you need a whole food diet. You need to eat real foods. You need to eat not too much of it. And, and that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. But I would say probably 95% of people in society today, at least in our developed societies, are not eating like this. So that, that's the first thing that creates issues with your brain chemistry. It affects your hormones, which in turn affect your brain chemistry, which in, in, in turn make it difficult to deal with things like anxiety or depression. And then the other side of the other side of it is the the the, the physical activity, right? We need to move. We need to do some kind of resistance training. We need to do. We need to get our heart beating fast several times a week, just as much as we need our heart to be nice and slow most of the rest of the time. It's incredible. I mean, I don't have the. I'm not one of these guys on podcasts who's like a professor or a doctor or something like that. So I don't have the studies to you know rattle off off the top of my head. But there's you know ample evidence for the. Uh, positive effects of exercise on brain chemistry, on insulin levels, hormone levels, on everything that is good for you. So when you have a society that on the one hand is, is not eating whole foods who, and who also, that also does not exercise regularly, that's two-thirds of the puzzle that is just not being addressed. And then we start to talk about things like meditation and yoga and things like that. And it's like, you know, f that's why yoga and meditation also for most people is not effective, right? It's impossible for them to, to get into it. It's impossible for them to form a discipline, to have any single pointed attention on, a, on an object of concentration or to yeah. wake up every day and do two or three hours of practices that are beneficial to you physically, mentally, and spiritually. Because if you just ate a whole pizza last night and drank six beers, you're not going to wake up with your brain primed to, you're not going to sleep for a start. You're not going to sleep well enough that you can wake up primed to undertake these, these practices. So there are those three things. You need the nutrition, you need physical fitness okay. and, and health, and you also need, you need the higher, the higher principles, the mind development of your minds and your emotions through meditation and, and things like that. Was that was that the path you took in terms of working on the nutri like nutrition and you know changing your lifestyle habits and then applying the other two? Kind of, kind of. I did become vegetarian when I was nineteen, so I became conscious of what I was eating. And actually, this has been a savior for me. I always cooked my own food. Yeah, I I, I moved to Amsterdam when I was quite young, so I. I lived by myself. I cooked my own food. I didn't eat out too much. You know, I didn't, I mean, it, it's a vegetarian, like there wasn't much I could get. Right. So I got really into cooking my own food and I always liked simple, straightforward food. Yeah. Of course I would be, I would be drunk a lot and I would eat a lot of shit too. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I ate a lot of pizzas or, you know, kebabs when I was really messed up or whatever, but generally I was pretty good. And so nutrition was a big part of it for me. 
uh, and still is a big part of it. I always ran too. This is quite, quite, I started running when I was really young. And even all through my 20s, when I was at my most crazy, I would, I would go out all night. I drink, I take drugs, I'd be completely messed up. I'd go to sleep at four in the morning. I wake up at seven and I go and run 5K just to feel good. Yeah. Eventually, as the years went by, I stopped being able to go for a run the next day. And it would be like, okay, now I need a day and then I can go for a run. And then now I need two days and I can go for a run. And, uh, you know, based on the last, the most recent times that I was drinking heavily, it takes me about a week before I can even think about, about going for a run again. But I did always have some physical thing in my life. I was a runner and I was a climber too. I was, I was pretty into rock climbing and bouldering and things like that. So in those few daylight hours where I wasn't drinking, I did, I did try to keep my body in semi-decent shape. I think if I didn't have, didn't have control of my own food and if I didn't have some exercise that was a natural habit for me, I wouldn't have made it to where I am now. I wouldn't have made it past that. 27 year point, I think. Yeah. Okay. So I, I cause we don't have much time left. So I just want to wrap it up a little bit yeah. here. Well, I just wanted to ask also, I think what you brought up earlier with the three point tips is really helpful. And just having been around a few people who've been kind of struggling with drug, different types of addiction, doesn't have to be anxiety or depression, you know, or, or drugs. But like you said, whole food health diet is so important. And so many of us in, yes, like you said earlier as well, developed countries, we kind of forgot about that, right? In yeah. Terms of, right, you need good sleep. You need to eat well. But there's just so many distractions yeah. that we get drawn left and right and forget that just these very basic, simple things is what needs to keep us grounded and keep up our nervous systems in balance. Yeah. So I think that was a great point that you made, made there. And also just, I guess, to wrap up, if you encountered other people, I guess, who, you know, who are t- sharing their issues, quote unquote, what tips would you give them besides those three foundations that you just shared with us earlier? It's very hard to give people advice Advice, yeah Yeah, it's really hard i mean some people are receptive and some people are not when someone recognizes that they are when they recognize that their their condition is really grounded in 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 physiology and chemistry ultimately then they're more receptive to the practices that can affect that but i think the one thing i would say to people who are struggling with addiction and we never covered the fact that addiction is is almost always a form of self-medication. When an addiction becomes destructive, it's almost always a form of uh, covering up underlying trauma or anxiety or depression. You know, right. so so that in itself is is a condition and a disease. And when I've been at my worst, when I've been at my lowest, I remember feeling, you know, I've been suicidal. I've been trying to think of ways like I can easily, you know, make it end. And you have to understand that once you get enough time out of that, it might be a matter of days or a matter of weeks, but things do get better. You have to understand that when you give your, your body has a remarkable ability to heal and recover, then it does remarkable things. And, and yeah, you, you're still going to be left with some issues, but once you get back to a more healthy baseline, again, that helps with the, you know, it's helped by the food and with the exercise, it comes more quickly. 
then there is a lot of hope. Yeah, there's a lot of hope for for overcoming your conditions. I still live with my mental health issues on a day-to-day basis, but I, I'm confident that I can overcome them. And in a way, I have overcome them, you know, by realizing that. Well, and by, be, by sharing with us today as well. It's important to share because more, like I said before, more people are suffering from addiction and depression and anxiety than are letting on. I've, I've always hated my drinking, yeah? No one ever would have said, I mean, no one would ever said like, Donnie is a drunk. Yeah, because nobody knew. And a lot of people are, are doing the same thing, whether it's with food or alcohol or drugs, or they could be pornography, you know, social media okay. addiction. All, it's all manifesting in yeah. different ways, okay. the same thing. Okay, so I would like to just wrap up, unless there's more things you wanted to add on. But I mean, okay, I would just like to also point out that obviously yoga, meditation, and your love for free diving has really helped keep you grounded in this journey for you. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So for those who are interested in learning more about Donnie and all the work he's doing, including the free diving school, as well as your podcast, I'll add the links on the website um, below. And then I also encourage everyone to read our interview piece that we did a few months ago that we called free diving as a path to healing health and happiness, which we can learn more about Donnie, where he shares more information about uh, free diving, the scene in Taiwan, uh, mental health, meditation, yoga, everything we just talked about minus the anxiety part. So it's a good compliment here. And he also adds on um, his favorite podcasts and books that he would recommend for people to read. So those will all be on the article as well. So thanks for your time, Donnie. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Jan, and I'm sure we'll we'll do it again. Yeah, well, and then also before I forget, on top of your free diving school, you're fully adding on the yoga side as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Before I did free diving as a career, you know, and before I was teaching English full time, I was also running a small yoga school here in Taiwan for a couple of years. And I've, I've begun to reactivate that. Let's say that I'm going back into yoga education now that I have a, a much more solid foundation and understanding of what I, what I have to offer. So yeah, if you come to the free diving school in Shaliocho, I'm also renovating a little bit here to make a space for for yoga courses. I'm not going to be doing walk-in classes like at a gym, but I'll be doing like four to five day courses where people can come and stay and, and learn traditional hatha yoga. So yeah, any, anyone's welcome to, to check out the links and find out more. Great. All right. We'll speak soon again next time. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Curito Connects. For more Connects content, collaborations, and discoveries set to inspire you on your own individual journey, please head to our website at www.curito.co. Until next time, stay inspired and thank you for joining us at Curito Connects.